Well, Ken Coleman, it's a delight to have you join us today, my friend. Dan, I mean, I feel like I'm talking to one of the godfathers. Uh, this is so great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Well, you've got a brand new book, From Paycheck to Purpose. We're going to talk about that, but we'll integrate things that we know about each other, our friendship over the years anyway, as we go along. As we were talking a minute ago, just you and I, this is a journey. We don't get the whole truckload all at once. We get little bits of information. You've got a process to walk people through. Wow. Now, I know you didn't write the book yesterday, but do you look like a genius to release this book in this crazy work time or what? I tell you what, uh, I look like a guy who's just trying to show up and be faithful and keep showing up in the right place. And as I tell people on the Ken Coleman show all the time, if you keep showing up in the right place, here's what I know. The right time will happen. But if you're not in the right place, the right time will not and it cannot happen. And so this is one of those great examples of just, you know, uh, keep showing up in the right place and the right time pops. And, uh, uh, and then you're ready. It's John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach, one of my favorite all-time coaches, said, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. And uh, so this is one of those moments. <laughs> Boy, that's a great analogy. Absolutely. Well, the opportunity seems to be perfectly timed to help people understand how they can go f- to more than just a paycheck and find purpose. Now, you know the stats. I've heard you talk about it on your podcast. A record-breaking 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August. I mean, that is crazy. 4.3 million people who had jobs willingly quit those. And that included a whole lot of healthcare workers, hospitality workers, servers. We all know the routine there. But after all the uncertainty of the last two years, you'd think people would be grateful that they can finally get back to work, get that regular paycheck, feel a sense of normalcy, and yet they're saying, nope, take this job and shove it. What is going on? <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is um, I think that this, I would sum it up to one word. They want more. And so now we got to look at, okay, what are the what are the main drivers for the 4.3 million people going, I want more, but I don't just want more. I'm going to move forward. You know, Dan, you know this as well as anybody on the planet. If there's one um, tether that we humans struggle with the most, it would be change and the unknown that is associated with change. And so um, that's always going to be uh, I think the greatest hurdle, I think it's the number one fear, the fear of the unknown. It keeps people from becoming who they were created to be because there's so many unknowns. They would rather be miserable than uncomfortable. All right. That's what I know from talking to 5,000 people uh, over the last four years. And I'm telling you that when COVID happened, the pandemic forced change on us in every area of our life, but more of the change than we'd ever faced before in our work life and our family life. Okay, those are the two major areas, right? There, everything else falls within those two buckets. And so when the pandemic forced all this change on us that we had no choice but to accept, Dan, I think coming out of this, people are like, well, I had to take wholesale inventory of my life based on all this change, and I'm okay, I'm here. What else do I want to change? And I think, I think it's coming down to I want more out of work. So some people are moving for the paycheck alone because right now, as you know, you've got 10.9 million jobs, 8.3, 8.4 million people 
um, that are unemployed. So this is a workers market. And so you've got companies that are offering uh, full tuition, partial tuition, uh, on-the-job training, uh, salary bumps, hourly wage uh, have gone up. We're seeing a huge rise, not a federal mandate on that, but you've got major companies taking it up to $15 an hour. So the opportunities right now are so ripe and full for people that are just going, I just want to level up on money. Then you got a lot of people are going, hey, I'm not going back to the office. I love working from home. This is a huge issue right now. The data is showing that a lot of people are going, you know what? I'll change jobs. I'll take a pay cut uh, in order to be able to work remote. That's a big driver. So there's a family value driving that. Uh, And then I think the other big piece is people are going, you know what? Um, Life is short. And they've seen that. They've seen friends and loved ones die. They've They've woke they they have they've woken up every morning to headlines of people dying daily and and so it f- makes you face mortality and I think that this other bucket of people are the people that you and I are really driving after which is the people who go I know that there's more than a paycheck there's purpose there's more than provision there's contribution I can make income and make an impact. And I think that's the third major bucket. So you take all of those drivers, if you will, and that explains a lot of people going, I'm leveling up, I'm changing. Well, you talk about paycheck to purpose, income to impact, money to meaning. Yeah. But the way you describe that process of what people are looking for now, it really alludes to a lot of existential, emotional, spiritual, psychological clarity to be able to navigate that. And a lot of people have never taken that approach in their work. It's just where can I go and get a paycheck? Are people really prepared to have that kind of personal depth of clarity to make a good decision? No, which is why I wrote this book. (laughs) It's why you and I do what we do. You know, because nobody teaches this. We are not taught in the North American education system. We'll call it the Western education system. We don't teach this wholesale. There is no fundamental... Uh, approach to this like we have math and science and grammar and and, and history and on and on and on and on. Uh, we just did a study. We're going to release uh, first of the year from Ramsey Solutions on the state of work. And one of the pieces of data that really illustrates what you just asked is that uh, nearly 50% of people want to change. They want to um, get a better situation, but they're not clear on what they want. They know they want change, but they don't know specifically what it is. Well, (laughs) I mean, this is the get clear stage, stage one of the seven stages that I coach people through on air. And then we wrote about in this book. And and to your point, uh, there's not a construct that is widely held. I'm not the first person to jump into this. There's a lot of people doing great work. You've been doing great work for many, many years. But it's like they got to find us. And, and, and so I think that it is a complex problem for people in their mind. They think it's, it's, and it is, by the way, in their mind, because they've got all these options out there as it relates to jobs and careers. Then there's, well, what's it going to take to actually get qualified to do that? Um, And, oh, I'm in debt or, you know, I'm divorced. I got, you know, kids on the weekend, this weekend, I've got all this. And, and it just becomes this mountaintop that they want to gaze at, but no sooner do they gaze at the mountaintop than their eyes drop and they see the weather patterns. They see the ominous black 
you know, no sunshine. What's that going to be like? How hard is that going to be? Am I going to die halfway up the mountain? This is the psychological and then the emotional reaction to this that you alluded to. And so the reality is, is that it's actually really simple. And the best way to solve a complex problem is to simplify it. And so, as you know, in the book, when, when we write about getting clear, we're going to go inward. We're not looking outward. So we take our eyes off of scanning the uh, horizon and we look inward and we say, okay, what do I know about me? What do I know? And sadly, Dan, you know this. A lot of people don't know themselves very well, or they do, and they've never sat with themselves long enough to reestablish and get super clear. Oh, yes, this is not delusional. This is who I am. And so, you know, we talk about talent, passion, and mission. Those are your three elements that every human being has. Think of them for a moment um, as a dashboard on your car. You get in your car, you turn it on, and you're kind of looking at your gauge, just making sure everything. So what are we looking at when we're uncertain or when we need to get clear? We look at talent, what we do best, hard skills, people skills. Let's throw character traits in there as well, just to kind of give people an idea of what we're talking about. And uh, you come hardwired into the world with, with talent, things that have always come easy for you, things that people compliment you on. You see other people struggling, it's easy for you. Uh, that's talent. And, and again, the hard skill and then the people skill. Then we go to passion. And this simply means work you love to do. Forget notoriety, forget pay for a moment. You love engaging in this work. Um, I like to refer to uh, work you love as being high on emotion, high on devotion. What that means is I get excited thinking about being on the air with you today. I get excited about doing my show today for two hours. I mean, I get the juice. Before I go in there, I'm like Kool-Aid breaking through the wall. I look forward to the work of coaching. Now, when I'm in the middle of coaching, my ADHD calms down, Dan, and all the whole world just kind of disappears. I lose track of time. I'm totally focused and engaged here. And then the devotion is, is I want to get better at it. I read about it. I listen to your podcast. I, I'm constantly reading psychology papers. I'm devoted to trying to be as good as I possibly can. So that's high emotion, high devotion. I'm willing to suffer for it. The root word of passion is pati in the Latin, and it means to suffer. Uh, and the way they would use it, uh, in olden days was almost to say, this is a, I'm striving towards to quench a thirst. And if you think about quenching a thirst, you, you're talking about this must be, this problem must mm-hmm. be solved. That's the work. And then finally, mission. All work creates a result. So is that work that you are doing now, is it producing results that connect to your heart? There's a values connection. And so when you put all three together, this is your purpose. I use what I do best, talent, to do work I love, passion, to produce results that matter to me, mission. So that's the simple methodology of how someone can actually get clear and see there are multiple pathways to do work they love. All right. Now let's let's flip the, the side here for a little bit. So let's say that somebody gets that kind of clarity it mm-hmm. takes a lot of work to go through the process you described, but they get that clarity and then they go out here and a company says, okay, I'll give you 50 cents more than the company you were working for. And a person says, no, not a chance. There's a company here near where I live that last week advertised for a position, very routine position, $45 an hour. They never had a single applicant show up. Mm-hmm. Their companies are saying in, in basic kind of fast food service, say, we'll give you $1,500 bonus 
to come in. McDonald's here where I live will give people $50 just to come in for an interview, 50 bucks. Now, so the question that I have for you is, what do you think companies have to do? Companies have been saying, oh, we'll give you more money. We'll give you more money. And people are saying, nah, that's not it. How can companies understand what it takes to attract a good worker, somebody who understands themselves in this crazy environment? Yeah, that's the right question. So if you and I believe, and we do, and we're right, that people long for contribution as well. And so in order to, as a company, to attract people, you have to connect your job to their long-term contribution. And so here's the way I describe it. Companies right now are going to have to show people a ladder. You can't just show them uh, a door. They're not interested. You just proved it. And by the way, what you just described is happening all across the country. Companies are going, here's the job. But what they're saying is, is here's a door. People don't care about doors. You know what people want? Ladders. Very big difference. You got to show somebody, you got to show a young person who's going, are you serious, McDonald's? Are you for real? I don't, I don't care what you're offering me. I don't want to go in and slip all over the floor, flip burgers and smell like nasty grease for eight hours. This is what you have to overcome. How do you overcome that? You got to show them a ladder. Our friends, Dan, Kathy, and, and of course, Truett, the founder, they figured this out. Uh, they've, I, I've been to their headquarters many, many times, had the privilege to work with them for years. And when you walk in their corporate building, you will inevitably meet many people in an executive level who started out behind the cash register or making waffle fries. Well, what's the difference? Because Chick-fil-A's figured out how to show people a ladder. So here's the specific thing for companies. You've got to show them an opportunity that if they come in your door, they're actually stepping on a ladder. And you're not going to just help them financially. You are going to help them um, personally. So, for instance, now again, I understand what I'm saying, but big corporations could do this. But if a corporation say, you know, we're going to start training entry-level workers um, on Ramsey Solutions uh, financial principles and how to get people out of debt. We're going to not just pay them well, we're going to treat them well. We're going to put them through uh, some leadership training courses. We're going to do some character training. We're going to um, give them free counseling sessions if they're going through a tough time the whole person is going to have to be addressed. That's where all of this is headed. People are going to choose companies where they aren't just paid, where they are valued. And if companies want to figure out, and again, I'm addressing this issue very tactically, Dan, on the lower level, but also looking at the executive level where larger companies, even small businesses are going, if I'm going to retain people, um, I'm going to have to show them a ladder not just professionally, but personally. We'll develop them. We'll pour into them from training to uh, conferences to uh, financial training to uh, personal training, skill development. They're going to look at us and go, wow, they're making me more valuable. And when a person sees that, then they go, oh, okay, I'm willing to walk in that door and I'm willing to start out at 15 an hour, 20 an hour flipping burgers because I see that in six months, I'm going to leapfrog everybody else, and I'm going to be fast-forwarded down my path. That is philosophically what companies have to do. There are some challenges there, and I don't want to oversimplify that, but, but I will tell you that's what has to happen. All right. Now, you frame work, you know, as I certainly do, as a tool. There's more to a successful life 
than just that. And yet when somebody does spend 40, 50 hours a week doing that thing we call work, it better fit with your mission, purpose, the impact you want to make, and all those things. But in today's volatile work environment, and you you walk people through how to do a job search, how to use your connections. I got lots of questions about that if we have time. But let's say that somebody's grown up in Nashville, Tennessee. They have family there. They have a church they love. Their kids love the school they're going to, but their job sucks. They get on ZipRecruiter, and they get a response, and they get, wow, what sounds like the perfect job in Potato City, Idaho. How do they make that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it comes down to the whole picture, you know, and it, we have to start with the assumption that this isn't the only great job you can get. So we got to start with that. Potato City, Idaho is not the only dream job or great job on the path to what you want to be doing. So we start with that assumption because I think that there is that human element. I get this call all the time on the show. Um, Ken, I mean, I got this great opportunity and it's a great opportunity on paper and professionally, but there's all these legitimate reasons why it's a bad move for them. And I spend most of my time on that call just going, hey, this isn't the only one. Don't say yes to the good, you know, and, and sacrifice all these other areas of your life. Because let's say you take that job from Nashville and it's if for all of the reasons, real legitimate reasons, not just you're afraid. But let's say that you walk this through with your wife and kids. Uh, maybe you got elderly parents. I mean, there might be a myriad of reasons that are surface reasons. So I'd look at that and I'd go, is this just about you being uncomfortable? Because if it's just about being uncomfortable, go to Potato City. But if it is legitimately uh, going to create negative outcomes in your personal life, I got to tell you this, as great as the Potato City job is on paper, within about six weeks, it's going to suck because you're going to be so distracted and so discouraged by all of the negative personal outcomes. So what I would say to that person is you got to weigh it. The good old-fashioned grandma, pros and cons. And uh, there is no job, great job, even dream job on paper that will fix all of the personal crap. So I would say, hey, I'm going to pass, but I'm going to re-engage and go, hey, I'm encouraged. That was a great opportunity. I can see that it's out there. And now I'm going to drive forward and look for and find something in this area, in this season of my life that fits the bill. And uh, the good news is it is there. I I don't know how quick it's going to happen. But that would be my advice to that person. Okay. Now, I want to lean into that a little bit more, Ken, in that in today's environment, th- those 4.3 million people who quit their jobs in August of this year, mm-hmm. I know, you know, a lot of them are not going to find a job. They're going to fall off the radar of the Bureau of Labor Statistics because they're going to do something on their own. We've got this continuum these days of work models that are not as clear cut as they used to be. Either you're some raving entrepreneur, you open a bowling alley, a restaurant, a service station, or you go to work for the factory. You know, today, those lines have disappeared. And a lot of those people are going to gently discover what they what their mission is, what their purpose is. And they're going to say, you know what, that may not fit real cleanly as a job category. But I can offer that service to 10 companies doing just what I most enjoy doing. How realistic is it 
for people to open the door to those possibilities in today's yeah. work environment. Well, it's very realistic. And I think that you are also, uh, you're, you're ahead of, I think, the newsmakers on this particular issue. I think that's already happened. We won't know that for sure. We're going to have to see, I would say, probably three to five months of some data. And then it's going to start bubbling to the surface if, in fact, that's a big part of the 4.3 million people leaving. I think it is. And here's why. Um, we see data now for Gen Z, which is the generation now uh, behind the millennials. And uh, nearly 50%, I think I saw something in the high 40s, nearly 50%, some of that range of high school seniors um, last year were telling pollsters that they were very seriously considering starting a business coming right out of high school. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so to answer your question, it's very realistic. Now, what is not realistic is that they're going to be successful right out of the gate. Okay. But that's the entrepreneurial journey. And this makes parents really uncomfortable. Um, I would suggest it would probably make my wife uncomfortable if our oldest said that. Uh, it would not make me uncomfortable. Hmm. Uh, I, but I, but again, I'm a college dropout. I, I have a whole different perspective. I, I drink the Kool-Aid that I make for people. And I believe if you, uh, if you do the work and even as a youngster, you don't think college is for you, but you want to try something and get after it, man, I'm all about it. Go. Because even if you fail spectacularly, you're 19, you know, and, and you're going to learn something and maybe you find yourself redirecting back. So, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail on that, but the answer to your question is, um, I think we're going to see from the data that a lot of people are starting their business because I think you're seeing people leave corporate America and they've been there for five, seven, 10 years, whatever, and they've got a skill set. And not only have a skill set, they got experience. And and this is the new world. I mean, you can launch a business today with a Rolodex and a Facebook page and, and, and you can start offering your services in your pajamas I mean, that's that's where we sit today. So I do think it's very, very possible. And let's look at this. Starting a business 20 years ago was, well, I got to go rent a space downtown on Main Street. That's I got to right. go buy a bunch of inventory and all that. Today's world, it is services, services, services. And somebody goes, yeah, hey, I can help you. In fact, I know somebody who um, left Ramsey Solutions. She's She was one of my dear friends here. And she has a young baby and she wanted to be a mom. She wanted to be around him as much as possible, but she still wanted to work. She's got six clients right now where she is ready for this. I didn't even know this could happen, but she is a, uh, she calls herself a virtual COO. And she is helping small businesses, Dan, run their operations. And she's doing it all online and Zoom calls and getting involved in their systems because she's a systems person. And that, I mean, that blows my mind, but she's making really good money. And she has no brick and mortar. She has no website. She has no product. So well, um, that answers your question, I believe. I mean, I think the possibilities are endless. It does. It does. And if we look back a few years, when Eli Whitney, you know, invents the cotton gin, and all of a sudden a lot of farmers are put out of work, and then Henry Ford comes along and says, I'll pay you five bucks a day to stand here and put these parts together. You know, people saw that as an option. But today, if somebody gets the personal understanding that you you walk them through in Paycheck to Purpose, they're going to feel like they're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Now, 
Let's flip back again to the company side. This is really challenging from both sides. This is not one side. We went to a restaurant last night, a well-known brand. I won't mention the brand. There was one waitress in the entire yes. restaurant, one waitress. Yeah. They were, it, they were stacking up people, you know, waiting to get in. The service was incredibly slow. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Well-known place, big brand name. So the companies are being challenged. What should someone look for in the way of questions that they're likely to be asked? If a company understands what you and I are talking about, if the company understands what are then the questions, the interview questions are going to change. You say in your book, you know, the person has to be a fit, be on mission, have passion, be a culture fit, have talent, have the right personality, have skills that can be developed. What are they likely to be asking if they understand, if the company understands this phenomenon, how can they ask the right questions of that person sitting in a chair? Yeah, well, you know, this gets to, we have to first focus on position. And so you have to say to yourself as a company leader, um, what's the sweet spot for this position? What's the non-negotiable talent? What's the non-negotiable passion, the non-negotiable mission? I mean, the person's got to have this talent. they got to enjoy loving doing this type of work, and they got to care deeply about these results. So you do that for each position and create your Mr. Potato Head. And so your questions as a leader have got to be towards that, and you've got to be asking bigger questions than, again, um, you know, related to a waiter, per se. What you've got to be asking is, is where do you want to go in life? What's your long-term vision? Where do you want to go? I'm telling you, those are the questions. Now, you've got to ask the talent, passion, mission questions, right? You want to get somebody who enjoys working with people, good communication skills on top of it. But now, if we're talking about a waiter here, I'm trying to keep this at base level. You know, can they do the job? Do they have what it takes to do the job? But, but beyond that, you've got to say, where do you want to go in life? Because right now, you are competing against uh, what they're going to make in tips on a weekend. You're competing against how much money they can make driving an Uber you're competing against how much money they can make online, you know, doing stuff. I mean, here's what's happening. I, I, and, and I'm going to go back to this because it, it illustrates what I said earlier for leaders. I was telling a friend the other day, it's a mutual friend of ours. I was telling him, I said, you know what I think is happening? I think we're going to see for a season that we're, that we're going to see the beginning of the end, a winnowing down of the dine-in experience. I think you're going to see companies are going to have to move to automation and the self-serve. When I go to the grocery store and I go to Kroger, Dan, I can't remember the last time I actually went and and ran my groceries through for a person to do it. Mm. I'm always choosing the self-checkout option. We're seeing that more and more. And I think you're going to see companies are going to have to, because of this, they're competing against all these other jobs where people can work from home. They can work autonomously all over the place. So I think that's where the people are because I'm trying to wrestle with, Dan, where are the people? Like, what are they doing? They can't just sit at home and not work. So that's not what's going on. Something else is going on. And so I think that um, the the lure has got to change. I mean, you illustrated earlier, these, these uh, service companies, uh, restaurants and uh, theme parks, all this, they, they're having a hard time luring people. Well, they're competing against other jobs now. There are different jobs in this economy. And so um, when we see automation come in, you're going to see the dining experience change. There'll be some people that'll win and a win on experience. We're going to see a lot of changes there. So they're going to have to adjust uh, on that side. But if they're looking for people that are going to stay with them, they're going to have to ask questions like, where do you want to go? 
What are you dreaming about? I believe we can help you get there. And here's how. All right. That's Here, the pitch. A job is not enough anymore. Well, here's the, here's the disconnect. We have 10.4 million job openings right now. Yeah. 10.4 million job openings. We have 7.7 million people who are unemployed. I mean, that makes no logical sense at all. What can there be that would blend these two so that we don't have as many people unemployed and we certainly don't have as many job openings? Now, it would seem that because of this, because there are fewer candidates looking, companies know they have to pay more, it seemed like this is an opportune time for anybody to get a job they love with more pay than ever before. And yet things to be kind of stagnant. Yeah, well, but again, it speaks to the jobs that are available. So I don't have the numbers on me, but of those 10 point, uh, do you see, is it 10.9? Is that the latest number? 10.4. Oh, 10.4. Okay. Uh, so of the 10.4, how many of those are in the tourism, um, leisure, food and entertainment space? You know, I don't know that number off the top of my head. Uh, I think I've seen somewhere in the three to four million. It may be more than that. So you've got to start to segment. If you're going to dive into this, which I've been thinking about it nonstop. So how many of those jobs are there? And those are considered lower wage, more transient jobs. But what I'm saying is back to my last answer. What's the disconnect? The disconnect is, is that, um, is that right now there are too many other, let's call it new economy jobs that are competing with those jobs. And so I think you're the only answer on the disconnect is, is you're going to see a level of automation. You're going to see service industry change dramatically. I, just, I don't see any other way around it uh, because technology booming like it is, um, it's going to keep taking people away. Let me give you an example. So uh, one of my sponsors on my radio show is Bethel Tech. Great program out of the Silicon Valley area. Uh, they have a nine-month program, Dan. And it costs less than $15,000. And they are training people with zero tech experience. They say, you don't even have to have any tech talent because tech is so intuitive and we can train you. And you can start, they have a 79% placement rate and you're going to start making sixty-five dollars to $70,000. And then within a year or two, you're on track for a six-figure income. Bethel Tech is just one. There are tons of opportunities like that in tech. As we see the economy continually moving along the tech route and digital route. Here's my point. A person who could go get a job at a restaurant and make forty-five dollars to $50,000 a year on tips and things like that, they're not going to do that anymore when they can go get a tech job and work from home the rest of their life or have a lot of autonomy and work for a great company. So that's what's going on. There is a, there's too much competition for these jobs um, in that service space where, you know, no one, why would I go wait tables when I can make just as much money, if not more over here? That's the problem that we're talking about there. The rest of these jobs, as you look at, uh, other things, it's all about qualification and tech. And I think that's where you look at the 4.3 million people leaving in August. I'm telling you, those numbers are going to bear out. It's not people just going, ah, screw it. I don't want to work. No, they're leveling up. They're, they're leaving, opportunity. They're leaving something that they're like, I can do better over here. And so it's just, all it is, is a great musical chair game and people are moving around, moving around, moving around. Yeah. Well, golly, we could go on forever. We need to kind of wrap it up here. You know, in (laughs) August, those 4.3 million who did quit their jobs, 
Out of that, 892,000 were hospitality, food service jobs, almost a million. So we can understand that based on what you're saying right there. And then we have have 721,000 retail positions. You know, you go to malls these days, it's like ghost town. Nobody's there. But then maybe not surprisingly, 534,000 of those who quit in August were healthcare workers, nurses, mm-hmm. hospital employees, physicians. I mean, people like that who are saying this industry is in a shambles right now, which we know. And so well, they're walking away as well. There. Two factors on the healthcare workers. One is burnout. They've been burning the candle at both ends. So they're just exhausted and they need a reset. That's one cause. The second cause is, is the mandates. Uh, that's real. That's absolutely real. And those two major causes are causing the shift in healthcare workers. There's no question about that. Yeah. Well, when we recently see 30% of airline pilots who didn't show up because of the mandate, it kind of shut down that industry, scrambling for a couple of days too. Yeah, some things are going on here politically as well as economically. And uh, mm-hmm. issues that you and I uh, don't have the time or perhaps the resources today to resolve. But thank goodness yes. we're in the game helping people Figure this out. Ken, last question. You had an early dream to be involved in politics. Uh, Then you say you lost your passion because the politics of politics killed your vision for that long career. You ask people, you mentioned it earlier, if I ask Ken Coleman today, here you are, what you describe as a dream job. What's your vision for the future? What do you want to have in place for you? Is there another move up? sideways are you going to stay here say no to any possible promotion what's this look like for you three years from now well so if we look at the seven stages that we unpack in the book i'm now in stage six and seven and 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 when you walk these out stage six is get the dream job so quick review get clear get qualified stage two stage three get connected stage four get started stage five get promoted stage six get the dream job Stage seven, give yourself away. So to answer the question, uh, I'm in stage six. I'm in the dream job. But I've been going up like this for 10 years. The view's been like this. I've been climbing. Took me 10 years to step into the dream job. I'm now on, you know, on the other side. So I'm 14. So it's been a 14-year journey. So four years ago, I stepped into the dream job. So now the view changes. I'm now looking out. Just like Sir Edmund Hillary, as I write about in the book, he gets to the top of Mount Everest, first man to climb it. And they put some artifacts down. They took some pictures. He and his Sherpa climbing partner. And it was just moments later after kind of soaking in that he found saw another mountain range. And he said, I think we'll do that one next. He then goes on to be the first man to uh, get to the North and the South Pole. So what happens for us when we step into the dream job? Well, now we're up high and we begin to look out. So for me, the answer to that question is I'm expanding the vision. That means the dream is evolving, and I'm dreaming new dreams that are now from the top, and I'm looking out. So I've not arrived, not even close. I am in the dream job, meaning daily. I am using what I do best, my talent, to do work I love, my passion, to produce results that matter deeply to me, mission. But um, giving myself away means maximizing exponentially the content that I've been developing, the show we've created, growing the shows, YouTube, podcast, Sirius XM, uh, the book, the Get Clear Career Assessment, which I think is the most complete tool in this space 
It doesn't just measure talent like strength finders. It's going to give you a detailed report on talent, passion, mission, fills out a purpose statement, which gives you a compass for the rest of your life. So how do we then turn that into an engagement tool for companies? We're working on that now. Um, coaching programs, curriculum in colleges. I have a vision, Dan, and we're going to get it. And I want uh, a large percentage of American colleges offering these seven stages in From Paycheck to Purpose as a curriculum for college freshmen to get what they were never taught before in the home or in the classroom to be able to go, okay, now I've got a construct. And these next four years, I can begin to see myself and see potential opportunities that I never would have seen before. But more importantly, I've got a construct. Does it allow me to use what I do best to do work I love to produce results that matter to me? Making that purpose statement now uh, a part of the culture. Um, and then I see high school curriculum there, um, training for companies where they can look at a person who has been struggling in one seat on the bus and sit with them and go through this assessment and go, oh, I should have seen it. You should have seen it. We need to move you over here. And so they're retaining talent and developing talent. So the vision is to um, make this methodology and philosophy um, mainstream. And it's as simple as this. The worldview of work that you and I are fighting against is that we work to live. I want to change that to we live to work. If I substitute the word work and I put in live to contribute, uh, I think that's a really easy message for people to understand. So uh, I got a lot of work to do. I'm 47. Uh, I'll eventually pass the baton to somebody else here at Ramsey Solutions when I'm old and babbling. But that's the vision. Um, if I'm going to get promoted, it will be I will be promoted by the general public. Promoted in that they're going, I believe what this guy's teaching and um, I want his help, and I'm going to allow him to guide me to be who I was born to be. So that that's my answer. I'm just getting rolling. <laughs> well, I love it. You know, relative to your Sir Edmund Hillary quote, there's, there's a quote out there that says, we don't climb the mountain so the world can see us. We climb the mountain so we can see the world. I think that's absolutely right. And as you continue to— When I to- got here, Dan, I was overwhelmed. When I got into the dream job, when Dave gave me the chance to develop the stuff I'm developing, uh, there was a season where I was overwhelmed, and I was overwhelmed by the sheer size of it. And there's a great quote about Ferdinand Magellan. It wasn't that it wasn't that Magellan was the first to navigate the world. It was that Magellan showed us how big the world was. Mm. And it's a very similar idea. And uh, and uh, there's so much work to be done um, to spread the message that you were created to fill a unique role. You are needed. You must do it. That's my purpose, is to help people understand that message intimately. Uh, If I can do that, I don't have to do much more than that. Well, hey, you've kept people to see who they are. You've captured the message. The book is From Paycheck to Purpose. Tell people it's going to be released on November 9th, but they can get some advantages if they pre order. Tell them how to find a book, Ken. Yeah, KenColeman.com is the website. We've got some great bundle deals there. We can get that assessment plus the book for 30 bucks. Uh, if you want the compass and the field guide to get up the mountain, uh, the book itself is only 20 bucks. I think you get the ebook and the audiobook too. So some crazy deals. Dave makes me do that. I would be much more stingy and charge you people more, but um, that's a great place to get a good deal there at KenColeman.com and connect with us on the show. We're everywhere that you can listen or watch. We're there. And I'd love for folks to join me on social media as well so we can encourage you daily. 
All right. Ken, delight talking to you, catching up. Thank you, Dan. It's wonderful to observe your path over these last 10 years, what you're contributing to help people figure this out. Thanks for being with us, my friend. Thank you. You're a hero.